Craig Hoffman with you on Overtime 106.7 The Fan. All guests on the BetQL guest line. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today. That is where we find my guy Stan Fortier of the Washington Post. Second time we're talking today. We talked for about 90 seconds earlier and went, this is very silly. Why are we trying to tape an interview on legal tampering day? Let's do this live tonight when uh, we, we know we won't miss anything. So, Sam, now that we've had another four hours here, what's the thing that we would have missed that you think is the biggest deal that has happened today now that we're doing this live at 7 p.m. here on the old radio box? Well, I actually think that the most interesting thing that happened between now and then is something that did not happen. And that is the fact that we still don't know what the terms of the contract were for Mitch Trubisky in, in Pittsburgh. Mitch Trubisky, obviously a guy that was rumored to be a strong candidate to land here if Washington hadn't traded for Carson Wentz. And so to me, like he got a two-year deal. What, what are the numbers? What are guarantees? Like, that is something that we still don't know. So I'm just extremely curious still. What's the number that it has to be for you to go, okay, Washington definitely shouldn't have outbid them for him. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that he necessarily would have come. He, he had a preference for Pittsburgh for whatever reason. But what's the number that it's got to be for you to feel like Washington couldn't have added, you know, another couple million per year on it and maybe gotten Trubisky in a bidding war? Yeah, so I think, like, the the problem here is, like, let's say, for example, the Colts cut Carson Wentz or, like, um, he ends up, you know, he hits free agency or they trade him to Pittsburgh and, you know, the market is then, you know, more robust because uh, teams now see Trubisky as, as the guy and, you know, maybe it's the Giants in Washington bidding and instead of the Giants and Steelers. But I think, like, <clears throat> probably, like, 15 mil a year, you know, if we're talking, like, mostly guaranteed a normal structure a normally structured contract at like 15 mil a year to me would kind of be um a little bit of oh maybe washington would have found more value in that route because not only are you paying carson wentz 28 million but you had to give up two third round picks one of those could be a second second rounder like that to me is, is a steep cost to trade for a guy maybe you know washington thought carson wentz was that much better than mr Trubisky, and and you kind of want to avoid um, you know, being the, the team that's left out and you have to settle for Andy Dalton or you got to give up some assets for Jimmy G. I, I understand why you trade, especially because in Washington, like you never know, like, you know, on an open market, is Mitch Trubisky going to say, yeah, Washington, I want to go there instead of a New York, instead of another option that he had. Um, so, you know, all these caveats is to say, uh, to answer your simple question, I think probably 15 mil a year is the point where I would be like, okay, maybe, maybe you didn't miss out on too much, uh, you know, by, by trading for wins. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right to me. So here's, here's my big question for you on the quarterback front is as we've seen this market play out and let's assume that Trubisky wasn't going to come here, right? That, that whatever the number was, that it was secondary and that Washington would have had to so grotesquely overpay that it wasn't worth it. But we, we knew he didn't want to come here. We now know Watson doesn't want to come here. Winston's still floating out there. Who knows with him? Uh, it, how we've seen this quarterback market play out. Do you like the Wentz deal more for Washington or less? It, I, I think this is kind of like a similar answer to, to the last one. Like I do like the Wentz move in the sense that like you have an out after this year, there's no more guaranteed money. Okay. Like he's either bad or you draft a guy or the, you know, free agent class next year is good. Uh, like you can cut bait and it's no problem. Whereas let's say, you know, Let's say this Mitch Trubisky contract is, is, you know, let's say for 
you know, it's two for 34. Most of it's guaranteed, uh, even maybe backloaded. So you have to take a cap hit um, or, you, or you can't move on from him as easily in year two. Like that to me is probably a worse scenario than giving up draft capital, even though I think what they gave up was significant. But I will say, like, <clears throat> this sort of depends on Deshaun Watson, because if Deshaun Watson goes to Carolina and then, you know, New Orleans is the natural fit for Jameis, you know, then, okay, like, then you're playing musical chairs and, and you know, you are in a tough position. But if, uh, if Deshaun goes to New Orleans and then all of a sudden Jameis wants a starting spot, like, I think Jameis Winston isn't too far away from, from Carson Wentz. Uh, maybe, you know, considering what, what's been said about Jameis in the locker room, like maybe even ahead. So I understand that that's probably, a, you know, an unrealistic bet where if you went into Ron Rivera's office and you're like, hey, you know, let's play 4D chess and let's hope that Deshaun goes to New Orleans, you get laughed out of the room. But in terms of how it's playing out right now, uh, I think the Wentz deal looks all right. It could look worse, uh, but, but I, I do think that it, it could look better, you know, if we know those Mitch Trubisky numbers. Definitely. Sam 48 from the Washington Post with us here on The Fan. I'm not a fan of this trade. I I don't like giving up that much. I don't like paying him $28 million. Um, I just think that when Indianapolis is that ready to get rid of him in the locker room, then I that to me says something significant. But it also depends on how comfortable you are with not having a veteran, which clearly they're not. But it, to me, and this is where I guess I, I want to ask you about what you've been able to garner as someone who is actively reporting on this. What do they think of this draft class? You know, I think Breer reported that they still could look at a quarterback at 11, but does, does this signal to you slash have you been able to, to garner from talking to anybody that they really are down on this quarterback class and maybe it is as bad as everyone says that they felt like they had to go take this risk with Wentz? I don't know if there's like a one-to-one comparison, you know, like, like oh, you know, we, we think this draft class is bad, so we have to, you know, pay this much for Wentz. Um, I mean, it's certainly um, not – you know, an indication that they're willing to do what San Francisco did last year and, and give up a ton of assets to move up from 12 to three. Uh, so you, so you're guaranteed, you know, Trey Lance or, or someone of his caliber. Um, I mean, obviously the class is not that strong, um, but I think it, it's maybe you could see it more as like a hedging your bet because the guy that's obviously seen as the highest ceiling guy in this class, Malik Willis is probably going to have to sit a year. Um, so even if, okay, you say, let's say, you know, you sit there and you Willis falls to you, um, you can cut Wentz and, and have him, you know, have Willis develop. I, I think, you know, Kenny Pickett uh, or, you know, one of these other, Desmond Ritter, you know, some of these guys that seem to be at the top of the class. Like, I, I think that there's an, no question that Carson Wentz will be better than either of those guys next year. Or you have a pretty strong degree of confidence because Wentz has just done it in the league. And um, I think that when you talk about year three of Ron Rivera, you know, with a uh, <laughs> – uh, a man not known for his patience in Dan Snyder. I'm sure Ron Rivera wants a certain floor to be established in the quarterback play because what we saw last year certainly was, you know, not going to get it done. Um, so I don't know if it's it's damning about the quarterback class as much as it might be Ron Rivera in year three just knew that the floor had to be higher. That makes sense. Uh, the, Ron clearly, I mean, I, everything he said, he's like, we're going to do quarterback. We're going to do quarterback. And we're like, all right, guy, we get it. And and they've done quarterback. What else do they need to do? If you, I, I think because of the Wentz move with the cap space that got eaten, we knew they weren't going to be uh, huge splash makers in day one. If you had to guess, is day two and three unfolded free agency here? Where's the area where they, they make the biggest splash, where they make the most significant acquisition? Yeah, so I think it's the complementary pieces, and some of that might even be their own free agents. 
Running back J.D. McKissick is out there. Free safety Bobby McCain is out there. I think those are two positions you really got to fortify yourself at, even if it's not those guys. Ron Rivera's talked about middle linebacker. Um, obviously, Brandon Sheriff signing in Jacksonville today. Those are, I think, the four spots that you could look and say, okay, those are the positions of need. That's something we could expect them to address. Uh, it, when they look ahead at the draft class, just to circle back kind of on, on quarterback, but also kind of everything you just said too, like if you had to place a bet as of today, as of their roster, as of the cap situation, as of what you know and think about this draft class, where do you think is the, like, the one or two most likely positions that they go at 11? I, I have to say quarterback just because I, I think that, like, uh, especially if Willis is there, because I think Willis, if he has the highest upside, you know, you want that guy, you know, you want to take a shot on that guy because you want to have the Josh Allen, the Patrick Mahomes. Um, but, if, you know, if that's not the case, I would say linebacker because there's a pretty good linebacker draft. Um, I know the kid out of Georgia is, is seen as pretty good, and um, I, I think that, you know, there's a couple of them. I, I don't know if there's any safeties after Hamilton at, a, at a Notre Dame. Um, you know, that, that would warrant being picked that high. Uh, and I can't see – I mean, maybe they could go O-line there, but, but I, I just don't see it. And obviously running back, that, that's probably too rich of draft. Position. So I, I would say quarterback and, and linebacker are the two likeliest, uh, but that would certainly depend on any moves we see over the next week or two. Sam Fortier of the Washington Post with us here on 106.7 The Fan. Uh the Scott Turner extension, I don't think is super surprising um, other than, you know, we, we don't always know assistant contracts and when they're up and, and the, the details. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we only had a year left and they like him. So they extended him. That's kind of how that works. Um, but, you know, what if, what have you made of the first couple of years of Turner here with Washington? And what is it about him that Ron likes so much that he's he's had him in Carolina, obviously under his dad when Norv was his OC in Carolina for a couple of years and, and obviously brought him up to to Washington to be the OC uh, from the second he took over. Yeah, Craig, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point about, like, we're not exactly sure how, how big a deal this is because, like, we don't know the contract details for Jack Del Rio or Nate Katzer, for example. Like, you know, if we found out that, you know, Jack Del Rio when he signed got a four-year deal or, you know, uh, had just been re-signed to a similar deal, like then, you know, we can start to understand the context of it. But I'm wary of, of reading too much into it. I would say, like, what have I thought of Scott Turner over the first two years? It's really hard to tell. And, like, obviously there are some, you know, trick plays or, or things where you can kind of see and, and play sequencing that you can see. But for a guy who runs, you know, a scheme that wants to be vertical, you know, uh, based in the Air Coriel scheme, like, you, as Matt Bowen, the ESPN analyst, said when they traded for Wentz, like they want to throw those second, third level throws. They want to throw in in breakers over the middle, especially to Terry. So, like that has just not been the mo of the quarterbacks, which have been you know turnstiling through this team for for Turner's entire tenure. And, and when you think about the guys who have started the most, uh, Alex Smith and, and Taylor Heineke, those are not the throws that those guys are known for. So. You know, he's not entirely blameless for the offense struggling as much as it has, you know, in the, in the last two years they've been, you know, especially in passing, you know, it was like next to last the first year, like somewhere in the 20s last year. Um, I don't think he's entirely blameless, but I also am like hesitant to crush the dude for what I think has been a pretty difficult position. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I 
made that argument a lot last year. Just, I don't know what to make of the offensive coordinator. The quarterback doesn't throw the ball past 20 yards. And when he does, it's it's a big looping thing. And then Terry died at the end. And that's that's not good. Uh, last thing real quick before you go. Uh, I know it's hard to answer this question without seeing the details on Sheriff's deal for the money. But uh, what was what were the conversations over the last week or so between Washington and Sheriff's team and, and how not surprised are you that he is leaving? Yeah, I guess like this is kind of been the writing on the wall, right? Because for as much as Brandon said, even before the first tag, after the first tag, after the second tag, that he wanted to be here and, and he was committed, I mean, you just knew that once he had the second tag, you start the floor so high in those salary, you know, conversations for a long-term deal. Uh, the first tag, you know, being 15 mil and the second tag being 18, like if you are willing to franchise tag me and pay me that for this year <laughs> for a long-term deal, like you better be willing to reset the guard market. And so, um, you know, I, I think we all knew as a year when they, when they didn't hit a long-term extension uh, last July, um, which kind of was, was the deadline for, for the guy on the tag. Um, for them to not hit it then, I think you kind of could tell that it was trending this way. And then, you know, Martin Mayhew at that um, beginning of the offseason press conference made a point to kind of go out of his way and say, hey, people think that, you know, we might not have been trying, or that was the subtext of, of his statement. But he said, you know, we did offer at one point to make Brandon the highest paid guard in NFL history, which, you know, is maybe a little convenient framing for him because, like, salaries have been increasing and if you you know say hey brandon we're going to reset the market at 15 a year for four years or whatever that that does you know that would make him the highest paid guard but at the same time if you're sheriff and you're tagged for 18 like how can you you know how can you negotiate yourself out of that position um for the coming year especially when it's fully guaranteed so i guess like this was expected um uh, but i don't know if like either side really burned the other it was just kind of uh, the wait and see game and, and, you know, the numbers just didn't make sense. Yeah. This seems like it's been a slow trickle for years and years on end. And finally he trickled on down to Jacksonville and we'll see how that goes for him. Uh, Sam Fortier, you can read him in the Washington post, always great stuff. Um, whether it's just a quick newser or the in-depth features had some great stuff on quarterbacks a couple weeks ago, obviously that piece didn't have quite the shelf life you'd imagine, uh, with the Wednesday <laughs> trade coming, but you know, you can't win them all, Sam, you can't win them all. You can't, and uh, I feel like I, I, I should have given you some hotter takes or something that you could have clipped uh, for the future, so I'll have, to, I'll have to do that in an article or something soon. Okay, well, then then your employer will be very happy, and you work for them, not for us, so I, I'll, I'll let that go. Uh, Sam Fortier <laughs> of the Washington Post with us on the BetQL guest line. Always a pleasure, Sam. Talk to you soon, man. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. See ya. All right, when we get back, uh, your calls, 800-636-1067. A little late-breaking news on Deshaun Watson, not like a signing-breaking news, just a little update on his status with the NFL as well. That's next on The Fan. Craig Hoffman with you on 1067, The Fan. Bottom of the hour, I'm going to bring Linnell out of the update booth and we're going to chop up all this free agency stuff over the next half hour before uh, I play my interview with Andy Sullivan coming up at the top of the hour. And then Eric Edholm is going to join us from Yahoo Sports at 8.30. He's got a great view on the draft stuff as well. So as this draft cycle has continued to play out, what is the latest on you know kind of how the league is feeling on the quarterbacks? And how might that have affected Washington's decision to trade for Carson Wentz? 
a, li- a little update here from uh, Eric's colleague, Charles Robinson at Yahoo Sports. Uh, I'm just going to read the first like two paragraphs here um, because it's important. I want to get it right on Deshaun Watson. NFL teams preparing for potential trade pursuit of Deshaun Watson are now focusing on two key aspects of his future. Following Friday's decision by a grand jury to pass on indicting the Houston Texans quarterback, on sexual assault charges. First, multiple teams considering a trade for Watson told Yahoo Sports that Tuesday's deposition in the quarterback civil litigation will be a pivotal moment, again, Tuesday, so tomorrow, continuing in the story, because Watson is expecting to give it without invoking his Fifth Amendment right to refuse to testify against himself. In his previous deposition, which was taken on Friday, Watson's attorney, Rusty Harden, advised him to decline answering questions by invoking the Fifth, Watson is currently facing 22 civil suits alleging a range of sexual misconduct or sexual assault. So basically, Fifth Amendment rights, as I'm sure a lot of people know, but I'm sure also a lot of people are like, I kind of know. You have a right in any kind of litigation to refuse to testify because or out of fear of incriminating yourself. So if you feel like you might say something that's incriminating, you don't have to turn yourself in. You have a Fifth Amendment right. Is a little silly if you think about it that way. Yeah, well, I could tell you, but that could get me in trouble. Fifth Amendment, here we go. But it's also very smart in a lot of ways, too. Uh, I'm not looking to get into a a law school argument with any lawyers um, because I would lose, just for the record. But um, that is essentially the the gist of the, the Fifth Amendment. And because there was still a criminal proceeding out there, the grand jury, which would decided whether or not there was going to be criminal charges against Watson, he used his Fifth Amendment in all of the previous civil litigation, the non-criminal stuff. So still criminal in terms of action, but in terms of which court is dealing with, are you suing someone or are you risking jail time? Watson just pled the Fifth, didn't testify. He's allowed to do that. Now that the grand jury has decided under no circumstances uh, is Deshaun Watson going to jail, Now, he is going to apparently testify in his own defense in order to not have to pay the 22 women that have alleged him of sexual misconduct of a variety of uh, ways a lot of money. And so the the thing to understand here as well is that teams, this isn't public. Like, we're not going to be able to just, you can't pull up a Houston County Court, civil court webcam and watch this unfold. This is under oath, like it, it is at risk of perjury. He has to tell the truth if he's going to indeed testify, but it is not something that's publicly available. But of course, the NFL has investigators whose job it is and whose skill set it is within to learn these kinds of things. We be shared on some level with teams. Teams will, I'm sure, also try to hire investigators or at least have some well-placed sources at the NFL level to understand what it is that Watson told uh, or said under oath that way, if it comes out later, they understand one, they want to know what he did is, do they want him a part of the organization, at least in his own mind, what he did. And two, if something were to come out later because it gets leaked, which happens all the time, then what kind of PR, uh, I would say disaster, uh, are they in for, uh, if something comes out, that's, that's very unflattering to damning of Deshaun Watson. So, That's the latest on Watson. On the football side of things for Watson, he has apparently isolated the Saints and the Panthers as the two teams that he will meet with first. That is per multiple reports. 
of course, he has Carolina connections. He, he went to or went to Clemson, uh, so he's got some some familiarity there. About two hours north, uh, up in Charlotte, uh, and the Saints have had a long run of quarterback success. Although the coach that had had that success is going to be on television somewhere next year. So that's the latest on Watson. Uh, when we get back, take some of your calls. I know we got a couple on the line, 800-636-1067. Uh, Linnell's going to pop in with us too. And then Andy Sullivan at 8, Eric at home at 8.30. We're rolling till 9 here on Overtime. I'm here on 106.7 The Fan, Craig Hoffman hosting. We're having some technical difficulties right now, but I was set to join Craig anyway, so I thought I might as well bring us back. Linnell Willingham doing updates today, wait, wait, waiting on Craig Hoffman's return. It's been a crazy day today. Free agency has been nuts. I'm sure we'll continue to get into it when the Hoffman returns. But uh, as we await that, Donald... Donald, the producer, in tonight. It's been a crazy day, man. The commanders, you know, as expected, not not too active. You know, they're working with a limited amount of cap space due to that Carson Wentz trade, but you still want them to do something, right? Yeah, I mean, Twitter has been going crazy. Obviously, Ian Rappaport, Adam Schaffner, their their fingers are going crazy right now. Obviously, there's been tweets all day. Um, yeah, but been quiet over here kind of on the D.C. side. So, yeah, to your point, I've been wanting to, to see some moves, really. But uh, it's been kind of quiet on our side, on our front. We've got an NFL network playing in the studio here. And right now they're talking about Devontae Adams. And he basically told the Packers to go to hell if they're not going to, you know, extend him and, and work on a long-term deal with him. He was refusing to play on the franchise tag. To the surprise of nobody, really. But but the the eye-popping deal of the day that made me scratch my little peanut head over here was Christian Kirk. Four years, north of $80 million. Just a massive deal. I mean, for a guy who's unproven and and how that relates you know, to us here in D.C., Terry McLaurin's due for an extension. Hopefully they get it done this offseason, but if you're Terry McLaurin and even Devontae Adams and the other wide receivers on the market, you got to be looking at your agent like, well, if Christian Kirk got paid that much money, I better be breaking the bank, you know? Well, yeah, that was what I was going to say. What he got, obviously, is, like, top receiver money. And to your point, like, he's unproven. So that's what I was going to say. Like, he's really resetting the market right now. I'm sure those guys are, like you said, they're looking at their agents like, yo, what you know, what do we need to do here? You know, I'm producing way more this guy than this guy. He's unproven right now. So, we, you know, we got to do something here. You know, from a numbers perspective, making it, you know, relative to Terry McLaurin, obviously back-to-back 1,000-yard receivers, you know, for Washington's third-round draft pick from a couple years ago, the Ohio State guy. You know, Christian Kirk, coming off his career year, getting the money he's got, that was his numbers comparable to, to McLaurin's numbers in his rookie season. So it's obviously, you know, going to drive the wide receiver market up that a guy like Kirk you know, was getting paid like that. Tyreek Hill <laughs> made me laugh during the day. He was tweeting, you know, while all this was happening. And he gave the other uh, eyeball emoji, basically looking and saying, hey, <laughs> I might be next. You know, it's been uh, well documented. The Chiefs and Tyreek Hill, you know, in recent days, starting really at the combine, have been working towards a long-term extension. 
you know, for the speedster in Kansas City. But, I mean, Christian Kirk, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think he, it's, it's a perfect place to go. You know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, good at pushing the ball down the field. We didn't really get to see his strengths, you know, last year. Was set up to fail from the start, in my opinion. You know, them bringing in Urban Meyer out of the booth and just wasn't really uh, wasn't really that good. Didn't didn't really have any opportunities to to, to do much. So, yeah, for sure, I, I'm I'm agreeing. Well, let's let's see what some of the callers saying. We got a few callers on the line right now. If you want to take Bang some calls, yeah, let's go to uh, Alex here in Wheaton. What's going on, Alex? Uh, well, well, I've got Mr. Willingham on the line here. Let me, uh, give him a thumbs up on, on his updates. I, I think you do a great job with those, man. I appreciate you, buddy. And I don't say that as like some kind of backhanded compliment. You, you get it out with alacrity and you don't screw it up, uh, which is more than I can say for some of the people who have held that post at various times over the years here. So good job. Um, you know, I was going to try to bust Craig's balls just a little bit. Um, but I'm not sure I'm remembering. Right. So we'll see. Do, do you, were you here? Were you, were, do you remember when, um, when Brandon Sheriff was, was drafted? Oh, of course. Of course. Right. He reminded it, me so of my high school football coach, man. Ray Fowl and him got some, some interesting comparisons, but go ahead. Well, I mean, I just thought something was being left out of out of uh, the breakdown there from Craig vis-a-vis McLuhan and the draft and everything, but maybe I'm just misremembering, but wasn't he taken at five because they thought he was going to be a tackle? You are correct. And then he was in training camp going against the, the, pre- the premier edge rushers that Washington had, and he struggled a little bit. And they ended up saying, well, let's kick this guy in the guard, let him play next to Morgan Moses, who was the right tackle at the time. And, and yeah, so Alex, the, whole, the whole discussion about how his draft slotting has, you know, sort of dictated the, the the trajectory he was on with this team to to you know resign or you know be franchised or go somewhere else. I mean that that isn't uh, a complete discussion unless you bring that up. And I don't know whether the, you know whether you point the finger at McLuhan for that or whether it's the scouting or how that all the came about. Should be, the, the finger should be pointed at this regime, Alex. We, we appreciate your call, Alex. Th- this regime, they should have never franchised them last year. You, you, don't, you don't franchise a guard. And that's really what a lot of the hosts and even Craig you know, ha- have been mentioning here on our airwaves. They, the, the problem started last year when they decided to franchise tag them. I and this, this franchise has a history of not maintaining and retaining their own guys. You know, Craig kind of touched on it earlier, Preston Smith leaving town and going to uh, going to Green Bay and signing two long-term deals. You know, couldn't get one here. Kirk Cousins, you know, they, they you know, botched that franchise tag situation. And Donald, I hope it doesn't happen to Terry McLaurin because I, this Christian Kirk deal scares me because it's only going to drive up the prices for the other guys. And the thing that, that hurts and what stinks is you're going to have to pay Terry McLaurin probably like a top five wide receiver. And, and this is no slight on McLaurin. He's not a top five receiver. You know, point point blank. So they're going to have to pay him like one. And, and hopefully this year Carson Wentz can unlock, you know, some of the true talents that Terry McLaurin really has. You know, Craig was touching on this earlier. This is the first time McLaurin's going to play with a quarterback who can actually push the ball down the field and, and, and get him, you know, easy looks. Definitely. You know, last year he led the league in contested catches. But that was because he was getting underthrown most of the time, having to come back to the football and make a whole bunch of difficult uh, catches. We're going to go to David in Fairfax. 
who's on the uh, MGM National Harbor listener line. What's going on, David? Hello? David, what's going on, buddy? Yeah. Man, I called last week to express to that the, the, the Washington commanders should have brought back RG3. For this reason only, affordability. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, David. I'm sorry, David. What is, can you repeat that one more time? There's no I'm way. You, I, I want to I make sure you said what you just said. And then if you're driving, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope that you're not driving because you must be drinking if you're going to make that type of comment. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, no. I understand the logic. He, he, he spent one year healthy. He's he, he healthier than uh, Russell Westbrook. And he's the same age. And uh, uh, he ain't going to cost nowhere near that type of money. Now we got a RG3. But he's just taller and twenty eight million dollars against the cap. You could have paid McCoy, you could have get up Sharif. <laughs> man, come on, man. And so what if he, he could not perform during the um uh, training camp? Really some what are they gonna cost you? Two million dollars? Thanks, David. Um wow. I I can't Donald, I'm looking at you like, what the hell did he just say? RG3. There's a lot to, I was going to say, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, a lot to unpack. And I hope you're not speaking on behalf of the fan base. Because there are callers like David who call in to say blasphemous things like that. And I I can't get with it, Don. Well, well, I understand that for some that our, I guess, last glimmer of hope was 2012 during that RG3 season. But give it up. Exactly. I'm saying that was it a, that was 10 years ago. We got to, you know, we got to move on. We got to look towards the future. Yeah, definitely uh, something that's going to have to be done. The future seems to be bright, you know, for Washington. They hold the 11th pick in this draft. And, you know, unlike you know, some of the other hosts on the airways, I'm not as down on the Carson Wentz deal. I'm actually a little bullish on the deal. And I, I kind of touched on it earlier. This will be the first time in Terry McLaurin's career. We don't really – I said Terry McLaurin's not a top five receiver. It's honestly not even fair for me to evaluate him in that context because he hasn't had a quarterback. Carson Wentz, in my opinion, represents hope. Represents hope. He's a veteran, 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions last year. You know, for 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 a Colts team – that offensively, you know, outside of Jonathan Taylor, I think our skill guys match up pretty well with theirs. You know, even up front on the offensive line. I just think, man, you've heard some of the guys come out. Uh, T.Y. Hilton was on NFL Network earlier today glowing about Carson Wentz and his leadership ability. And that kind of seeming, you know, seemingly was the determining, determining factor that got him the boot in Indianapolis. Wasn't, you know, so much the on-field stuff. It was the off-field stuff. We got a caller here on the line, Robert. Where's Robert calling from, Big Don? Hey, what's up? Robert, you're on overtime. What's going on, buddy? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say that uh, the, the the move they made to get Carson Wentz, I don't agree with it. Uh, they panicked. He put it out there. The coach put it out there last year. We're going to take big swings to do whatever we can. And so eventually they're just going to panic and sign anybody. To me, they should have just signed a guy like Teddy Bridgewater just to get you through. He wouldn't have caused a lot against the cap. But what's your, uh, but what's your goal, Robert? Signing a guy like Teddy got, Bridgewater, what's your goal for the team? You're you trying to be stuck in goal, mediocrity? Goal, yeah, you, you, you stuck in me, you've been stuck in mediocrity for 30 years. That's the point. You're supposed to hit rock bottom. 
So take your loss and stop trying to win eight games every year. So if you don't, if you play Teddy Bridgewater, you go 0-12 or 0-14 or 2-7-15 and get you a Joe Burrow like Cincinnati did. But if you keep trying to win eight games every year, you're going to stay in mediocrity. So you proved my point. Robert, you're, a fan, right, of the, you're a fan of the team, buddy? Yeah. Nah, Would man. you watch? You, you said the team, huh? you said you'd rather the team go 0-17, I'm guessing you're saying? Then win eight, nine games. Do you mean that when you say that? Because there is no way as a fan, and I'm a fan too, that I'm going to sit and watch 17 straight losses. You you lost me at about six or seven losses. I said two and 15. Didn't we get in the Chase Young draft two years ago? What was our record when we drafted Chase Young? You tell me that. What was the record then? It's the same thing I've been watching for the last 30 years. That's my whole point. We had a – uh, lightning in a bottle a couple of them years, one or two, three years. But for the most part, we've been mediocre, seven games, eight games. You stay in the middle. You got to hit rock bottom to, to, to get some players in here uh, to get you a franchise-type quarterback. And that's, the, and that's the problem. Two years ago, when Ron Revere did all he could to make the playoffs, he should have he just played it out, and we'd have got a quarterback then. But now he wanted to make the playoffs. Then last year, we ended up playing the hardest schedule just because we won the division, and when that shit never happened, and then you then you worsen your draft pick, and it would possibly, uh, if you play your cards right, we could have got a quarterback or could have got a Michael Parsons, either or, but you want to keep winning seven and eight games every year, you're not doing nothing, and that's all you're going to do this year with Carson Wentz. You tell me, what do you think going to happen? Now you tell me what's going to happen. We appreciate the call, Rob, but I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. I'm bullish on Carson Wentz. Like I said, Carson Wentz represents hope. He's the best quarterback, arguably, of the 2000s that this team has had. This is a guy that, in his second year, was an MVP candidate. Led the Eagles to an 11-2 start. Was, honestly, in my opinion, the sole reason they made it to the Super Bowl. But we'll talk about, you know, the commander's prospects in 2022, and we'll recap the day in free agency uh, opening night of the uh legal tampering period in the National Football League. We'll get you up to speed on all the deals. And the latest deal is as they uh, come into the night here. This is Linnell Willingham in for Craig Hoffman on Overtime. Overtime on 106.7 The Fan. Linnell Willingham, Donald Hankerson piloting your ride home tonight. I guess people are driving home right now, huh, Don? Had some technical difficulties with our, with our good brother, C. Hoffman. We got him on the line. Craig is back. Craig had to save us for a second, bro. You did. Thank God you're there. Most nights that I host overtime, you know, I don't have an update anchor. And uh, thank God you're there to not just be update anchor, but man who is riding the ship when the signal goes down. And now I'm stuck here on a telephone. I was about to say, but, what, uh, what happened? You know, Peel back the curtain. You know I want to hear it. What happened? I, we, Donald was playing the break and he's like, Hey, here we go. And about three seconds before the commercial was going to end, I had, I had radio silence and, uh, we've, we've lost the feed on, on the incoming on my end. Uh, hopefully we can get that straightened out. Uh, but here you are to save the day. I, honestly, I think the universe just wanted Linnell Willingham free agency takes. You've been giving <laughs> him the news all afternoon and now, uh, now they wanted your take. Yeah, I was talking about Christian Kirk before we went to the break and how that is just going to drive up the market and the AAV for, for Terry McLaurin. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, that was my first thought, too. It seems like wide receivers are getting driven up like crazy, and they're a commodity, and with good reason. I think the NFL kind of goes through shifts of positional importance. And right now, I think with what the Rams just did and, and what you've seen Jamar Chase doing and Cincy and some of these other receivers that, that seem to be really elevating teams. I mean, you saw what happened to the Cardinals after DeAndre Hopkins went out. It, the, it's pretty clear that having a really good playmaking wide receiver digs in Buffalo, you know, the Adams and green Bay, like the list goes on the best teams have really good dudes to throw the football to. And so, you know, is Christian Kirk, that guy, no, but Jacksonville needed weapons badly and they have a buku of cap space. So they had to spend it somewhere and he's a really good receiver. I, I still think they need to draft a one, uh, maybe obviously not one overall, but they, they need to find someone to be a one, one, but you know, to get Lawrence some, protection with sheriff and then and then a, a big time weapon uh is something they they absolutely had to do going into year one and doug peterson and you know unfortunately for teams like washington that's just going to push the market up for a guy like mclaren who's better than kirk by a lot um and is due for a new deal it seems to me and i'm and I'm, I'm smelling it here like it could be a built-in excuse not to re-sign terry mclaren for some asinine reason now we've seen washington be just completely irresponsible when it comes to that franchise tag and obviously Brandon Sheriff, prime example, Kirk Cousins, the one that you know really resonates with people. Is there any scenario, and obviously it would be hell freezing over before this actually happened, but is there any scenario in which you see Washington not extending McLaurin this offseason and then getting into that franchise tag bout? I think it's possible, and I, I think that there's like an unsaid thing that, that's happening here too, which is and, – and look, part of this is just business. Like Kirk did very well on the business end. Sheriff did really well on the business end, and Terry could do very well, although he's in a different spot. Um, obviously, Kirk was dealing with quarterback money at the franchise tag spot. Sheriff was getting good money on his fifth-year option and then good money at, at, as opposed to Terry who's coming off a fourth-round rookie deal. And he ain't making a lot of money. Um, you know, Woody on the franchise, sure, but at the end of the day, like the negotiating power exists, and the the unsaid part of this is guys clearly don't want to sh- sign up long term in Washington. Like, I don't know how many free agents don't want to come here, and how many free or guys that are here want to get to free agency. So we're just like, let's look at the reality. Guys are unsure about this franchise and and don't necessarily want to sign up here. Like Terry is no dummy. Now, typically. NFL logic and financial security tends to overtake that desire. And I do think Terry, while he's here, will obviously be a super competitive guy who gives it his all and is always going to be team first, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, like this is a business. Part of the business is winning uh, and, and being somewhere where you can maximize earnings outside of football and also as a competitor feeling like you're somewhere that represents the way you want to compete. And if Terry doesn't feel like that's here, does he push this thing out to either get insane money or to potentially get himself a free agency? Yeah, I, I think that is that has to be on the table. Um, and and you know it, that would be Washington's fault in that they've created a franchise situation where guys might not want to be here, um, but not their fault in terms of like you know if they make the right offers, do all that kind of stuff, and he just decides like, nah, this ain't it for me. It hurts my heart, man, because 17 is growing <laughs> on me, and I just I, I don't want to see any type of scenario in which we cut bait with him just because he's the best player on the team, obviously. But he's yeah. a good guy, and everybody, everybody loves him, and he's easy to root for, hardworking guy. The the third-round draft pick story, it's all there. All, all the feel-goods is there with Terry McLaurin. 
We'll get more into Terry McLaurin on the other side, but but up next, uh, Craig Hoffman's interview with the commissioner of the WSL, Andy Sullivan, is on the other side of this break. This is Overtime on 106.7 The Fan.